We shall read in the book of First Corinthians 11. It's a familiar scripture that we read when we are taking the Holy Communion. But we are not serving the communion now. We just want to use it uh, <coughs> to see what God will speak to us. That is First uh, Corinthians 11. We will read verse 23 to 30. And uh, we shall pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we now dedicate ourselves to the, to the service of the breaking of the bread of life. And we pray that the Holy Spirit who gave it 2,000 years ago, you knew that we would be here now. And the, 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 this, these scriptures that we are going to read had a meaning for us at this time. We pray that the same Holy Spirit who wrote it we will break it for us now that we may understand them in another way that will help us to strengthen us and, and make us closer to thee. We commit ourselves to you, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take it, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as oft as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do shew the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and eat of that, drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Yeah, let's end there. Maybe you can be seated while our brother reads in Luganda. Luganda. Neyevaza nagumenyamu na yogeranti kunogwe mubiri gwange oguri kuwamwe mukorenga we mutyo olwokunzi jukiranganze era nechikompe bwacho bwe bamara okuria nga yogeranti echikompe chino yendagano empya musayi gwange mukorenga we mutyo bulirwe munanywanga ko olwokunzi jukiranganze kubanga bulirwe munalyanga kumugati guno ne lwe munanywanga kuchikompe Munayore sanga okufa kwa mkama wafe okutusa gwarija. Chenavanga 
Chanavanga Azza Omsangu Ogomuvili Nomsai Guamkamawafe Budi Anadianga Kumgati Oba Ananyuanga Kuchikompe Chamkamawafe Gatasani De Nayomun to Yekevenga Yeka Arioke Adienga Kumgati Watio Era Anyuanga Nekuchikompe Kubanga Adia Era Anyua Aria era anywa omsango gwe gwe ye bwatayaura mubiri Amen Amen may the Lord add blessings Now I want to speak on this message called communion now, there, there are two two messages called communion uh, one was preached in 1962. The other one was preached in 1965. Uh, the two are slightly different. I, th I think the theme is the same when if you break it down. Uh, but presented maybe differently. But my thoughts are focused more on the one of 1962. So that message of communion. Uh, when I went to when I when I migrated to Botswana many, some many years ago, I found that when I preach. People will be furiously writing notes. And then they, when I quote a certain message book, they quickly write it down. Then when we come to the next meeting, you find they have read all of them. And that is when they accepted me that I was preaching the message. <laughs> because when, they, when you see a stranger, you don't know what he is made of. You don't know whether he has brought other doctrines. So if you wish to read that message, uh, it is, I'm focusing my thoughts on the one of 1962. Now, in the New Testament church, uh, it, the New Testament church has a lot of differences with the Old Testament church. Although the Old Testament was, as we were saying yesterday, the Old Testament, it was God's covenant with the people. Right? Amen. So it was a it was something, it was a religion given by God. But when we come to the New Testament, one of the differences was is that in the Old Testament there were many, many physical things that people had to do. The priests, as the minister, they had to be dressed in a certain way. There was a way of coming into the church. Then there were many processes of, that involved the washing of 
hands and even washing the whole body as they come into the church. Many, many things that they had to do physically. But in the New Testament, we don't have many things. We have only three things that we do. See? We do water baptism. Yeah, you have to be baptized in water. I believe you have a pool here. We partake of the communion. See, we come, there is a, a service that we have where we actually eat bread and drink wine as something that we have to do physically. The other thing that we have to do is feet washing. We have to do it physically. The denominations, many of them don't believe in those things. They don't believe in uh, physical ordinances. So some of them don't even believe in baptism. Saying that what, what matters is your heart. That water does not save you. And it is true. You, water doesn't save you. Water just comes on the body. It makes the body wet. But it doesn't penetrate into the soul to wash it. So they don't believe in it. And drinking wine and eating the bread, they don't believe it matters. See? Feet washing, I don't know of any other church that does it. See, apart from us message believers. But you hear them talking about, hey, I, want, I went to wash my brother's feet. There is a way in which they, they, they mean, they take it, what it means. But... Uh, they don't do the physical washing. Now, we do them. And we must do them. But now my point is, eh, when we do the physical, those physical ordinances, we don't do them for the, this, just to obey the scripture. See? Those things, there is something that they symbolize. Right? Amen. Now, and some people, they are so keen on doing them, but when it comes to the, to the spiritual meaning of it, what they are symbolizing, you find that they don't do it. Right? Amen. Now, and in this meeting, we are going to focus on what they symbolize. Because if you are symbolizing those things, but you don't do it, you don't do the... the, the the spiritual aspect of it, 
Then by doing these rituals, you are telling lies. See? And there are some people who are very keen in fulfilling the physical. But they fail miserably when it comes to the, 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 the spiritual aspect of it. It's just like um, I was saying in the church that you have a wedding. Now, during the wedding day, people make sure that the couples marrying, they are very keen so that they have a perfect wedding. Because as they say, you have only one wedding in a lifetime. So this is my day. Everything has to be perfect. And the bridegroom wears, he dresses in, so that we the way he, he is dressed so perfectly glorious see the trousers are ironed so nicely that if a fly happens to land on the on the crease the fly will get injured <laughs> see the bride is dressed so perfectly. Now, let me tell you. What are you symbolizing? You are not just having a, a wedding. There is a marriage after the wedding. There is no need of coming. Seeming so holy and so perfect. Clean and all the... But when it comes to the marriage itself. And you even give vows. But you are not going to fulfill those vows. See? Meaning that what you are symbolizing and what you are even your promises you are not going to keep. If I take a hundred couples here and who have been married for five years and above and then you go to their marriage day you play the video. Look at what they were symbolizing. See? They cut the cake. And as a symbol, the man pierces a piece with his with a fork and, and feeds, feeds his bride symbolizing this is what I'll be doing to you I'll be feeding you I'll take care of you See? then you five years down the line to see whether he kept his promise. What he symbolized, he is actually fulfilling. 
I'm sure 90% of them will just have been lying. There is no need to, to have a perfect symbolization. But you are not going to do the real thing. See? Amen. Yeah, it doesn't matter. doesn't make sense. So, uh, I'll, go, I'll talk a little bit about that. Because I'll be, it, it symbolizes, it has a, it was, it has a spiritual, um, they, it is connected with one of the symbols that we are going to talk about. Now, I'm going to talk about those three things. Water baptism. When you are put in the water. And you, you are brought up again. What does it mean? We are going to talk about the communion. When you drink, when you chew that piece of bread. And then you take the wine. What are you symbolizing? And comparing it with whether we actually do what we are symbolizing. And we shall talk about feet washing. What you are symbolizing. And question, and we ask the question of whether you, we are fulfilling what we are symbolizing. So let's start with water baptism. Now, water baptism, it was introduced into the world in the worship of God uh, by John the Baptist. It was introduced at the junction between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it was given by God. For those churches who do not believe in it, that you have to do it physically. John was asked a question. See? Uh, or was he answering a question? No. When he was introducing Jesus, he said these words. He said, the, the one who sent me to baptize, he told me, that's in the book of John, chapter 1, he told me that the one on whom I see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is, the, this is the sign I was given that that is the son of God. And, and he said, and I testify that he is the one. See? So in that way, we see that God is the one who sent John to baptize. So something that was given by God how can you then say it is not important? You mean God does not know that water does not touch the soul? You are the one reminding him. 
God knew that it does not touch the soul. But he said, do it. And Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Amen. So there is no church that can claim to know better than Jesus to teach us the way of salvation. You have to be baptized. And there is no Christian in the New Testament who was not baptized. They try to quote the thief on the cross. But the thief on the cross, number one, he was still under the Old Testament. Number two, his, he, he, he did not have a chance. He was dying. See? You are not the thief on the cross. You are not dying. You have plenty of chance. But you are rejecting it. By rejecting it, it shows that you don't like the things of God and the commandments of God. See? That's right. You must be baptized. Now, and there is something that baptized it was typed several times in the, new, in, the, in the Old Testament. Now, first of all, let's, let's look at what, it's symbol, what, it's, what the symbols mean. Now, you are baptized in water. See? Waters, in the Bible, it represents peoples. So you are buried in water. In other words, you disappear. That's why we don't believe in sprinkling. Because baptism, the word baptism comes from the word baptizo. A Greek word called baptizo. Which means deep in a liquid. Like if you take a cup and you make it disappear in water and bring it up again, you have baptized it. See? So, you disappear from the people. And then you come up again. That means the old man, the old woman, the old girl, the old boy is gone. And so he or she has disappeared. And now she has come up anew. A new creature. A new creation. In Christ Jesus. That is what it means. Now it was symbolized. In the, new, in the Old Testament. In, uh, in several ways. I think it was in three ways. Now, it's important to look at the shadows so that we can see the meaning of the real thing. The first shadow was the flood of Noah. 
It was a shadow of the baptism. We get this in the, from the book of 1 Peter chapter 3. Sister, if you can give us that. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. First Peter 3. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. By which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, uh, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. <laughs> Edda abata gonda okugumi kiriza kwa katonda bekwari ngakuri indirira muna kuzanuwa eriato weriari ngari dicha sibiwa ngaricha sibiwa amazi begaro kwa abantu sibanji jemioyo omunana. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. And, and the Bible acknowledges that it does not wash away the filth of the flesh. It does not touch sin. Because the, in the bracket it says, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So you find that in the time of Noah, the flood that covered the earth was a figure or a shadow of the baptism that we undergo. Right? Amen. And the Bible says clearly there. It's not that it washes away your sins. But it shows you have a good conscience towards God. You are being buried into God. Now listen. The world, the Bible has said there. That it was saved by water. And it says clearly. Baptism now saves us. How does it save us? When you. When you. Give yourself to Christ. You have died to yourself. And you have raised, you raise up a new creature. It saves you. Those people who in the time of Noah, they escaped the judgment. And that ark was 
put was tossed to and fro like that by the ark. They underwent the baptism of the water. And they were absolutely saved. Oh, they were saved. They didn't die like the rest of humanity. Even the animals were saved. The ones that went two by two into the ark. So when the ark was baptized, they were saved. And that is what happens now. We are saved from the wrath to come. And let me tell you, if you are here and you are not baptized, there is another wrath coming. It is worse than the, the wrath of the time of Noah. And just like you, can, you could not escape in the time of Noah without being baptized getting into the ark and as the ark was baptized you are also baptized you will not escape the wrath that is coming that was a type now the other type was in the time of Moses. The church that was called by Moses, Israel, it was also baptized in the Red Sea. That was the other type. We shall find that in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 and 2. 1 Corinthians 10, one and two. Yeah. Moreover, brethren, I would that ye should be I, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that our all our fathers were under the cloud and pa all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. By them passing through the sea, they were baptized unto Moses. I don't know how the Luganda puts it, but the way they put it, they translated in Swahili is, 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 is perfect. And even, even the English, unto means so that they, they can be possessed by. They have been put, they have been baptism by baptism they have been pushed to become Moses' disciples. Baptism is a form of it, it puts you in um, it puts it gives ownership to the one that you have been baptized to. And when we baptize you in this pool here, you have been baptized to become Moses, um, to become 
the disciple of Jesus Christ. Just like those people are baptized so that they can become Moses' disciples. See? Amen. Now, the other thing is that as they were baptized, just, just like we have read about the time of Noah, it was at a symbol of total deliverance. In Israel, or rather in Egypt, God had done many miracles. The hailstones, turning water into blood, and the frogs, and the hailstones, and the darkness, and all these things, including the death of the firstborn. But all these things, they never saved Israel. But when they passed through the Red Sea, that was a symbol of total deliverance. Because even after the firstborn was killed of Egypt, the enemy still had power. It still pursued them. But after that Red Sea experience, the enemy was completely vanquished. I'm telling you, even if they wanted to go back to Egypt, Egypt had no power over them. Maybe they would have gone to take over Egypt, the government of Egypt, if they wanted to. Because Egypt and its, its power to enslave was completely gone. Egypt did not even have one soldier. One trained soldier. And I'm telling you, when you are baptized in water, the symbol is the devil's power to overcome you is completely gone. See? You are completely free. The only thing the devil can do is to deceive you. Otherwise he has no power to anybody who has given their lives to Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And that is supposed to come out in baptism. As long as you are baptized, you anybody who is baptized, he has total victory over the devil. There is no fetters. There is no prison that Satan can take you to that you cannot be, over, be able to overcome. But he can, de he can deceive you if you listen to him, he will deceive you. But you can only enslave yourself if you want to. Otherwise, you are free. Ooh, I love that. That we are completely free. Anybody, you can be free from any condition. Not that you can be free. You are very free. 
Anybody here, they can go to any height in the spirit. All, all of you sisters, you can become prophetesses. <laughs> all of you brothers, you can be prophets. Amen. Amen. All the heavenly gifts are yours. You are God's servants. The whole of heaven is yours. Jesus has a table spread. And it just depends on your appetite. If you are courageous enough to take it, it shall not be denied you. It's yours. Jesus died for that. Amen. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. See? And it is symbolized by baptism. So, do you see when, when somebody is baptized in Jesus' name and the friends, the friends are taking videos. See? Amen. And it's an important day for them. Then, then they take the video, they store it, but then what it symbolizes, they don't even know. They start subjecting themselves to the, to the powers of Pharaoh again. Hey, Pharaoh is dead. You are free. How can you how can you subject yourself to sin again? Romans chapter 6 tells us that those who are baptized in Jesus Christ, they should reckon, they should reckon, they should count as if sin is dead. Any power that can bind you was buried in the sea. See? Amen. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's what baptism symbolizes. Now the other thing, that the other symbol that we shall not read very much, it's, it's in the book of Leviticus, but you shall, you shall just skip it, but it's in the waters of separation. They also symbolize baptism. That when you come to the temple, you leave your sins outside and come to worship God. See? Now, before I leave baptism, let me say it like this. Baptism is what connects us with Christ. Without being baptized, you have no you have no part in Christ. You cannot claim Christ. And Christ cannot claim you. It is like a marriage ceremony. 
Couples that are getting married, there is no community in this world. It doesn't matter where they live. Doesn't matter how primitive they are. They may live in the in the forests of Congo. Like I was reading some some years ago. You have, we have communities there called the Pygmy. I don't know that they are still living in forests, but there is a doctor we used to work with from Congo. We used to tell me about them. They live in the forest. See, but even such people, they never allow a man and a woman boy and a girl that simply because they, lo they love each other then they elope they? they elope they run away to get married without witnessing they have some kind of a ceremony where people witness, they do some rituals and things that join these people together as husband and wife. Right? There is no community that allows just loose living. And in Christianity, that is symbolized by baptism. That's the day that you commit yourself to Jesus Christ. That's how you symbolize it. Now, when you look, like I was saying about marriages of this world, see, people do like what I described. During the baptism day, there is rejoicing. There is recording with a video. But then from then, we don't see this man dead. We still see him demanding his rights and living the old life. Just like marriage. You take the woman to be your lawfully wedded wife. You even promise to love, to cherish, to honor everything. And you symbolize it by rings, giving cakes, exchange of vows, but now, when you go to the marriage itself, whether you kept your vows, you find that you are just telling us lies. See? I think it was last year when we were having... Uh, Gideon was uh, celebrating his 25th anniversary. That's right. It was last year, December. And when we went there, we gathered the couples that were there. Anybody willing, let them repeat their vows. I wish there was a way that married couples 
they would repeat their vows. When things are very bad, <laughs> sister or brother, let me give you an idea. <laughs> when things are very bad, and the man is angry with you, when the wife is refusing to talk to you, come and tell her, hey, my dear, can we repeat our vows at this time? <laughs> see? You try that idea and see how it's going to work. Because you vowed before God, I will love you when things are good, when things are bad. Is that right? Yeah. Amen. There's no need of having a good ceremony when you are not going to keep it. Your word is as good as when it as the, the extent to which you are going to keep it. Your word, your promise is only as good as when you are going to the extent to which you are going to keep that promise. See? Blessed be the name of the Lord. See? So, there was a man, Brother Branham talked about. He, he went to a church like this to pray. Then when he was praying, he, found, he heard footsteps. And then it was a man and a woman. They came to the altar here and they, they stood shoulder to shoulder. The man tells the wife, the, the, man, the woman, I, I will take you, my dear, to be my lawfully wedded wife. I promise to love you to honor you, sickness and health and good things, bad things, all those things. And then the woman said, I take you, my dear, my lawfully wedded husband, I promise to love you and cherish you. Then they kissed each other and walked out smiling. And the man, the man was confused. Hey, you people, you are getting married without a minister. <laughs> the man looked at him and said, no, no, no. We have been married for the last 30 years. But every year, we come and repeat our vows. <laughs> I'm not saying that you do that, but that's a good idea. There's no need of the symbol without keeping it. But I'm talking more about Christ. There's no need of having a beautiful baptism. But we don't see you being dead. We see the old man. We see the old woman. See? Some people even are daring enough to say, you know, in our family, we usually have a high temper. 
Ah, but I thought you are dead. I thought you are no longer in that family. I thought you left that family. I thought that now your family is Abraham, Elijah. You are in that lineage. You left your earthly tribe and lineage. And you are, you are now the genes that are in you are the genes of people like David, <laughs> Abraham, then the prophets. Because the Bible tells us you are no longer strangers but you are in the household of God and your household is the prophets and the apostles. That is our lineage. That is what baptism was supposed to symbolize. Now, let's talk about the communion. Now, the communion, uh, we take bread and we, we take the broken bread. See? You don't eat the whole thing. But it's broken. Now, what does it symbolize? Like every church, we take the same Bible. And when we, came to, we come to the message, it's the same. There are many churches of the message in Uganda. But they take the message, which is the, the, the bread of life. And they break it. Take the Bible. And they break it. Right? So, what, when you are taking the communion in this church, you are telling the pastor, you are telling the members of the church that the way you people, the way you are our preachers, the way they break the bread of life, I eat it all. Sometimes we have had strangers or visit, let me call them visitors. They come into a church like this. They attend one service. They don't even understand what we are preaching. And it's communion service. And then you find them lined up eating the bread. Now that's wrong. See? Because they don't know what we preach. What we are symbolizing, what you are telling the pastor, as the deacons are serving the communion, you are declaring, I agree with the doctrine of this church. Everything the pastor prescribes is what we eat. I eat it all. There are some message believers, message churches, when they break the, the message of the hour of Brother Branham, they get polygamy from there. 
Now, you cannot eat communion with them. See? Amen. Because when you break it, you don't see polygamy. You cannot have, you cannot go to a Catholic church and you eat communion with them. Although you believe the same Bible. Because when they break the Bible, out of it, they see crosses, rosaries, and beads, and uniforms, and nuns. But they say they get it from the Bible. That is how they break the bread. That's the, or rather, that's the product of them breaking the bread. So you cannot eat with them. You cannot eat the bread, the communion with people who believe the Santiago doctrine. Because you don't live like that. See? Amen. You are a visitor there. Oh, that's a visitor here. But I'm telling you, when we see you, when the leadership of the church, they see you taking communion. Say, brother, don't worry. I'm a believer here. The pastor will have confidence in you as a believer. The brothers and sisters will have confidence in you that here I don't have any bones that I throw away. <laughs> I eat everything. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. Because let me tell you, you, you know, it was symbolized in the Old Testament by the Passover lamb. Now, and in that, in the, in, in the eating of that Passover lamb, they were told to eat it all. Right? Amen. To leave nothing. You could not say, oh me, I don't like the intestines. Oh, I don't eat the liver. Uh -uh. You have to eat. I don't eat hooves. You have to eat everything. See? And let me tell you, the pastor, he should not spare anything that he sees in the word of God that can help the people. He should preach it whether he understands it or not. That's why the Paul told Timothy preach the word in season, out of season. See? Don't spare. Don't, don't be afraid of people's Faces. Rebuke if there needs to be rebuke. Teach the ones that need to be taught. Teach deep things. Teach light things. Feed the sheep. 
that are adults feed the lambs who believed recently. Teach them everything that is in the word. And don't spare. So, when he is agonizing with God, seeking revelation, seeking leadership, and all that, and then the people in the church, he sees that this church, it needs weekend challenges. It needs all night prayer meetings. He was telling me that he has started a program of fasting. He has prescribed that. It might be bitter. But it's part of the menu. See? Now when you are taking communion. And you don't. There are some things that he gives to the people. But in yourself. You have decided. Ah, This is not for me. The fasting. Ah, that's too that's too bitter. We can challenge <laughs> Yeah, like he said, there was when I was young, I was very aggressive. And I wanted to teach the church. I realized that the church age book is very rich. It is extremely rich. And I saw as if I wouldn't have time. So I agreed with the church and we decided together that every weekend now look you think it's difficult but Look at the Seventh-day Adventists. Do you know that Seventh-day Adventists, they have a weekend challenge every week? I don't know that you have ever thought of it. But every week is a weekend challenge. Because they cannot touch anything on Sunday, on Saturday. They can't even cook. They cook on Friday. They eat cold food on Saturday. They cannot open shop. They cannot open business. If they have a tractor or some other form of business, it cannot work on Saturday. And on Sunday, because the rest of the world has gone to church, they also go to church. Are they poor? Are they poor? Do they survive? See? So is it possible? I'm not trying to tell you to do it. We also don't do it in Kitale. But I'm just showing you it's possible. And I decided I'm going to do that. See? And the results were fantastic. One of the last meetings was the most powerful meeting I have ever 
attended in my life. See? Blessed be the name of the Lord. No, what I'm, all I'm saying is this. That whatever is prescribed here. See? <laughs> if you have at least in your heart, you don't reject it. Of course, you may have a trip. On the day that the church has a program. But I'm just saying that on the communion, when you are eating the communion, you are telling the pastor, you are telling the deacons, you are telling your brothers and sisters that this, in this church, whatever is dished out, I'm a consumer. See? I don't fight with it. Now, the wine, uh, as we all know, that in the Bible, when, when the prophet was preaching the seals, he taught us that the wine, it represents the stimulation by the revelation. Is that right? Oh, yeah. So, what you are telling us is that when I come to church, when I come to feast with you, I'll make my life right. I'll not sit in on the on the on the chair there like a stone. Cold and formal. But I'll sit there and I'll be waiting for the spirit to speak. I'll allow my spirit to be swayed by the spirit. I'll respond to what the spirit, the way the spirit moves. See? I'll support the word. <laughs> You know, there are some people who come to church. They have destroyed their, their spirits by, by a lot of things of the world. And they come to church cold. And when the spirit is trying to make them happy, they don't respond. When the spirit is trying to make to move them to seriousness. They are just indifferent. See, and they said they are cultured. Cultured. Hmm. Now you are saying when I drink, when you drink the wine, you are telling you are telling the church that you'll be enjoying the blessings of the spirit with them. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, there's something, I will skip something there so, so, so that we can get. There's a part that I really want. That, now, I, I, have, I have, when I lo was looking at my notes, my old notebooks, I found that I had preached this message uh, of communion even many years ago. 
read it, but I found this just the other day. And it really struck me. Now, which is what I want to give you now. Are we together? Now, and the prophet was saying, eh, I will tell you before I read it, then I will read it for you. The prophet was saying that when we are taking the communion, this, we symbolize this. That in every serious discussion, there is always eating involved. For example, if a young man is looking for a wife, he identifies, he identifies a, a wonderful girl. They make friends. And then the day arrives when he is going to make a proposal. Now, he, he just doesn't, you know, as they are walking along the road, they are, and they are talking about different things, and then she says, hey, by the way, will you marry me? <laughs> the girl would be hurt, because he is taking such an issue seriously. Are we, instead of taking it seriously, he's talking like a joke, like he is joking. No, he makes an appointment. See, I would like to talk to you. Something important that I would like to say to talk to you. Then they go to a place. Maybe some drink or some meal, something. And as they eat, and he buys her the best. And when they are eating, that's when he looks at her in the eye and makes a proposal over a meal. He is likely to be taken more seriously. <laughs> if you are going to make a deal with a man and it involves millions, see, you don't just throw the words. There's a there is a word we use in our language. Says that you don't throw words as if you are throwing a stone. Uh -uh. No. You call the man to a meeting. Usually and buy him a meal or something. And as you are eating, then you take you talk things over. Serious matters. Now, when we are dealing with God, there are some people who deal with God in a very shallow way. You want God to lead you in something. Or you have some requests that you want to make with God. And now, in the course of your planning, how you are going to get it? How you are going to do it? Like if you want to get married, and you want God to lead you, 
you start calculating the words that you are going to use that girl see and the plan you make to do there's a young man who was telling me that these days even, even sisters do hunting <laughs> they tried also to talk in a certain way to get to so in the course of your hunting and your, and your planning so I'm going to wear like this I'm going to use this kind of words like that in the course of your planning you, th you throw in a word of prayer just to satisfy yourself that you also involved God So, and there are people who engage God like that. The way they live on this earth, when they want to buy something, the major thing is planning and, and, weighing, and weighing things and making calculations. And in the course of doing that, they throw in a word of prayer. You get me? Do you understand me or do I repeat it? You involve God casually. But walking with him Asking guidance from him. It's, the, it's not the major. It's not your major resource. Your major way of. Your major resource. Is thinking and, and calculating. And planning. And maybe asking advice from somebody else. But with God, it's just a casual talk. You throw in a word to heaven. Now, when you are taking communion, you are telling God, I'll not deal with you like that. But all the time, I'll be calling you for a serious discussion. As serious as when, when somebody engages somebody and they talk over a meal. That's how I'm going to be dealing with you. There are many people that when they pray seriously, it's only in church. But in their, their daily life, when they buy property, get jobs, solve problems in life, 
they engage God very casually. And this is a great evil. This is a great evil. Because you are, go, you are engaging God lightly. You are taking God for granted. See? So when you are taking communion, you are promising God that I will not deal with you like that. I'll be calling you for a meal. We'll eat together. We'll discuss it with you. See? Now, give me 62204 paragraph 49 and 50 Now these were many times we make our great mistakes As we do all the talking and don't wait and give him a chance to talk back, to answer back. We go sometimes and say, Lord, I would that you do so and so, and so and so, amen, and get up and leave. Now, that really isn't communing. That's going to ask a favor. But when you stay long enough until he answers back, that's when you are communing. That's when you are getting communion. Communing with the Lord. Now, in a great way to commune is to be agreed, you must agree upon certain things. Now, and it's strange that sometimes when, when we get those things, Eating is associated with it. Now you take business people. When they want to make a business deal, they invite somebody out to dinner. And after they are sat down and eat, then talk with one another. A good salesman, usually he cannot talk to, some, to a person on an empty stomach. It's best to wait until he is feeling good. Then after he has had his breakfast, don't get up there. Get him out of bed. And tell him about something you got to sell him. See? But wait... Till he has had his breakfast and is set in the right condition. See? So eating is associated with, with business. And in the book of St. John, chapter 15, Jesus said that. Uh, he no longer calls us servants. He calls us friends. God wants us to do business with him. We are partners. And he will not do anything on this earth until we ask him. Is that right? Now, 
If we take his business lightly, he doesn't do it. He doesn't, he can't do it. I don't know whether I'm expressing it correctly. But let's, like, like I gave the example of the girl. If he, if he, if she designs that this guy he is asking for my hand in marriage. But he is asking casually. How can I take him seriously? See? She will th- if he asks in a casual way, or when you are Selling somebody something that costing millions, and you are dealing with that business in a very casual manner. How can he trust you? You can't take your 50 million shillings that you have saved, maybe to buy land or some or a house. And somebody is shouting about it when he is far away. See? Not casually. Are you getting me? You've got to conduct yourself in such a way that you are taking that. Deal very seriously. God also. He will do nothing on earth. He involves us as partners. See? And we've got to take it with its seriousness. See? Now, I'll give you an illustration of the type of Talking that we should we should be having with God. Uh, give me sixty-one zero eight zero eight forty-one and 40, and forty-two. Uh, now it says. But just remember, when you believe on him, have faith in him, and trust him. Don't try to shove yourself to it. Just stay with him and reason it out. Like, if if I was coming to Brother Welch here, to borrow a thousand dollars. Now, what is a thousand dollars in Uganda? Three million. Huh? Sorry? About 3.9 million. Say four million shillings. You want to borrow four million shillings from somebody, from, from a brother. He says, I guess I couldn't get it because he may not have it. But if he had it, I could get it. I could I would come and try to lay the case down. I would come say, Welch, give me a thousand. 
like, if I want to borrow money from Brother Nathan there, then I casually, just casually, say, hey, Nathan, give me four million. <laughs> Even if he, love, he loved me, I would expect that the, the obvious answer would be I don't have it. Nobody goes around carrying four million in his pocket. If it was something like, like I wanted to buy maybe a cob of maize, a maize, maize that costs maybe 500 shillings. And I say, hey, do you have 500? I say, yeah, yeah, he's here. Because that's little money. But not 4 million? Can't talk about 4 million as if you are buying some maize. See? And the prophet says, that is no way to do it. That's no way to ask God. So, when you are asking God for a favor, hey God, come and help me. Lead me. I want to get married. Want to, and you are asking casually. That is like coming to Nathan, hey, give me, give me four million. Ah. Even if he was a millionaire, he would think, you think four million is, <laughs> is peanuts. See? You don't deal with God like that. I would come up and say to Brother Welch, could I speak to you a few minutes, Brother Welch? Listen, sure, Brother Branham, go over to one side and sit down. I would say, Brother Welch, the first thing I want to ask you, do you have a thousand dollars that you could get a hold of for me? Well, we are friends. He would be asking me or you him or one of you brethren would be the same. We will say yes. Now, here is why I want it. Now, brother, now, here is why I want it. I would lay down and show him. I would say, Brother Welch, I'm over here in a meeting. I'm absolutely against it. And I've got to leave the town. And I have a thousand dollars in debt. I just got to have the money from somewhere. And the Lord put it upon my heart to come to you. I would explain to him now from another meeting that I had in a certain place I've got a thousand dollars coming in which would be about three months from now I can pay you I'll pay you interest on it if you want to and just lay it down and explain to him why I want to, I don't want to leave that town like that it's a bad thing on my name if I do that and they are going to say he is nothing but a cheat and a steal leaving the town owing money see what I mean 
I would explain it to him. Sit down like a brother and talk it over with you. Now, and I believe if I would do that and you like me as you do, you do anything. You will pawn an automobile or sell something out of the house to get the money. Do you get the read of it? God has something. I'm very sure a congregation of this size if I ask how many people would wish they would get four million shillings it would help them very much. Maybe they have a, a, a serious need of it. I'm sure I would get people here put up their hands. I'm not asking you, but I'm sure they are there. Maybe it's a debt or maybe it's a business deal that you, you want. Something that will help you in your life. Now, God has that money. Maybe it's not the money you want. Maybe it's another serious need. Maybe sickness. Maybe domestic trouble. Something. You have a serious need. Now, you don't just go to God and say, Oh, give me this. Give me that. Uh -uh. You got to lay it down. Like the prophet is illustrating here. You would give reasons. Strong reasons. See, if it's money, say, Lord, I need this business. I need this. It will improve my life. This is distressing me. The condition I'm in, I'm distressed. I'm not even well able to worship you well. Lord, if you can give me this money, like Brother Branham was saying there, telling Brother Welch, if you give me, I'll pay you. I'm expecting money sometime to come. I'll pay you back. And I'll pay you with interest if you want it. Now you tell God things like that. If you give me, I'll, I'll give my first profit to your house. I'll pay my tithe. I'll not allow this my earnings to come between me and you. I believe it will help me. You engage God. Give him reasons. The prophet is saying here, you put the case to brother Welch so strongly that he will go and borrow the money to give you. See? An example in the Bible was Hannah. Hannah didn't have a child. She went to God. She engaged God. 
She didn't just go there miserably. But she went to the throne of God. She put her case down. Lord, I'm being distressed. My enemies are laughing at me. I'm your child. Shall I live in this shame? Give me a man child. If you give him to me, I'll give him back to your house. It will be for your glory. She talked to God until God was convinced and he released a child. See? Amen. So when you are taking communion, you are telling God, I'll not just become miserable with my needs. I'll be engaging you. I'll be coming to talk it over with you. See? Amen. So given that, see? How many people take communion but they don't do that? They just throw words to God as they go about their businesses. Then they sit miserably looking at God as if God has refused to give them. But they are not talking it over with him. See? Now, don't just do the rituals. Do the real thing. See? Amen. Now, if the people of this church, if they could be talking things over to God like that, I'm telling you, we would be seeing miracles, testimonies all, all through. Sister has a problem. The size of the problem is 4 million shillings. Instead of sitting miserably, thinking that all is lost, thinking there is no way, she looks to her uncles, no way, brothers, no way. Say, oh, poor me. Uh -uh. Look up. God has it. If you could go and engage him, he will release it. He will give it to you. And I'm saying that when you are taking communion, that's what you are telling us. Suppose everybody who takes communion in this church, suppose that is how they lived their lives. There would be nothing lacking among the people. Those with no jobs, God would release jobs. Those with no children, God would release children. Those who are sick, they would be healed. See? Amen. 
Now, and when we take communion, that is what we are symbolizing. And all I'm saying is this, that there is no need of taking the same, being very, very faithful on the symbols when you are telling lies. See? Everybody is quiet. Can you say amen? Amen. Amen. See? Now, let me talk about feet washing. There are some quotations I would read to prove that. But, that's the truth. See, when you take communion, that's what you are meaning. Right, now, Feet washing has two meanings. Number one, uh, in the time of Jesus in Israel, when, they were, they, when, when you come into a house, maybe a big house, the owner has a, several servants. Um, the lowest paid job was what the prophet was calling a foot wash flunky. Yeah? That's, that's a man who was, who was employed to wash the guest's feet. Because as people walked through the dusty roads, it is the same roads that animals have walked on with their droppings and urine and everything and the dust. And the guest has a good house with nice expensive carpets. See, you have to, their feet have to be clean. So you have somebody employed wash their feet and then you give, you, they give you slippers. Nice slippers. Right? Now, that was the lowest paid job in those days. So, when you are washing people's feet, you are telling them that you will humble yourself to the lowest level so that you can serve them. See? So, you are telling people that as, as I am with you brethren in this church, I'm not going to be high-minded. I'll, I'll prefer you to everyone to me. And I'll lower myself to the lowest level so that I can serve them. See? Now, if I can uh, illustrate that, eh? there was a story that was told by the late Pierre Green. That when they were with Brother Branham, out there hunting, they carried, you know, it's that, um, when they go hunting, it was a time of relaxation. So they had... Um, that board, board that for playing darts. 
that board, that thing for playing darts. You know darts? No. Amen. You got it. Did you translate? I want them to understand. Yeah, you understand? So, when they are from their hunting and they are relaxing, they would go play that. Sometimes, sometimes two or three brothers. I don't know. I don't know anything about them. I don't. I don't. I've never played that. But they would go there. They play. And they are competing. So when two brothers or three, when they are playing, they really compete. But when Brother Branham was playing with, with them, with one of them, he would always make sure that he is, he is last. All the others defeat him. But Pierre Green, he said that there were times when Brother Branham would go to play alone. And he realized that he was such a sharp shooter that when he is alone, he will aim straight where he wants, that's when the dart will go. And he asked Brother Branham, why is it that when you are playing alone, you are so accurate that I don't see how anybody, any of us can beat you. When you are, but you are, it's like when we are playing with you, you allow us to beat you. And Brother Branham would just make excuses like that. But Brother Green, he continued pestering him with that question. And you, one time Brother Branham called him. And he told him, Brother Green, when you win, you have a nice feeling, don't you? You feel nice, you have won. So, why don't I let you have enjoy that feeling? Just because I can defeat you, then I take advantage of enjoying, enjoying the competition. Why can't I allow myself to be defeated so that you get that nice feeling out of that? And Brother Green was very ashamed. Brother Green now because each of them, they were really competing so that they can come at the winner. <laughs> That's what I'm relating to feet washing. You find that in the church, people like winning arguments. Winning arguments. Even at home, the, the wife yeah. or the husband, no he wants to have the last word so that he can come from there having won the argument. Why can't you prefer one another? Talk in such a way that 
the other one comes comes out the winner. Instead of, instead of feeling humiliated, you allow yourself to be humiliated. As brothers are arguing about this or the other, you are really competing. Why can't you have let the other one have his way? Just that's humbling yourself. Now, what I'm trying to say, when you are feet washing, that's what you are saying. I'll let you have your way. I'll lower myself. I'll prefer you to me. Let me lose the argument. And let me be the loser. For your sake. Now, there is no need of feet washing if you don't do that. The other meaning of feet washing is in the area of correction. The feet, they are the parts of our body that are walking on this earth. As you walk on the earth, you collect some dirt Maybe some pride comes on you. Maybe some foolishness. Or something. That bad spirit comes on you. So when you are washing your sister's feet, what you are telling them, sister, sister, I will never let anything be on you without telling you. See? If, you, if, if you don't see me approaching you, it means as far as I am concerned, as far as I know you, you are okay before God. I can allow, I can have you pray for me. And I believe you are a servant of God. I'll believe your prayers. See? Amen. I know what I know that some of you are telling me in your hearts. Now, this is not discernment. I'm just thinking. <laughs> you are just telling me. But brother, some brothers, they are very hard to be approached. If you try to correct them, they find fault with you. They count you as an enemy. And what comes out is a lot of arguments. They misunderstand you. See? Let me tell you the problem with those people. When it comes to feet washing, 
they should not offer their feet to be washed. Because when you offer your feet, you are telling people, if you see some dirt on me, wash me. Tell me about it. I'll not get angry. You be free to approach me. There are some people who find fault. You try, you try to approach them this way, they get offended. Try to use another method. No, you didn't come to me in a scriptural way. Then why do you do feet washing? You should not do feet washing. Because you are lying. You should not offer your feet. If people have to plan and pray before they approach you, you should be so approachable that somebody can tell you it is not meat to take the children's bread and give it to dogs. They are calling you a dog. But you are the kind of people who look through that statement. <laughs> Let me, you seem like you have not understood it. You are so approachable that when somebody is correcting you they can tell you easily ah, sister you have talked foolishly you have that what you are speaking I'm sorry to say but it is just foolishness and you don't get offended other is why do you get why do you do feet washing if it's foolishness, it is foolishness. If it's hypocrisy, it's hypocrisy. I'm not teaching you to insult each other. But if you find somebody who does not know how to approach you, doesn't know how to approach people, they are not, they are not diplomatic. That's the way they talk. You should allow them and get correction. How many people here you know of somebody who is not walking right but you cannot tell them? And how many people don't walk right? And they know people have something against them. But they make themselves so hostile. They get angry at correction. Demanding to be approached honorably with respect. And you people are afraid of them. But on the night of feet washing, they are there. They 
There is no need of you telling lies. You are not doing feet washing so that the feet can be clean. There was one time I went to do feet washing when I was taking a bath. I can't I don't know how a piece of soap found its way in my pocket. But when I knelt down to to wash my brother, the piece of soap fell out. And then I didn't use it to wash him. I just put it back in the pocket. And then when I went to went I sat down for him to wash my feet. He asked me for the piece of soap. No, 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 no. You are not washing me because I need washing. This is a symbol. Amen. Now that is what it means. And you cannot just come to church. Faithful at feet washing. But you don't correct people? Or you are not correctable? So the symbol is useless. See? But when you do feet washing, that's what you are saying. See? Now, apart from apart from baptism, which we do once, but if, if, even, even if it is done once, but every time we have a baptism, people should Think about their lives. When I was baptized like this girl, or like this boy, or this old man, have I lived true to what I symbolized? Do I have, still have some preferences? See? The things I like. And they interfere with my relationship with Christ. Or like I was, we were having last night. I have lost my ambitions. I have lost my preferences. It is no longer I that is living. But Christ living in me. When we, every time we do, a, we do, we have communion. You take that bread. As you are chewing it, you should be asking yourself, is there anything that is taught in this church that I have something against? See? Am I part of everything? Or there are some things that I just leave. When you drink the wine, do I come to church 
With my heart free, no condemnation, I'm not starchy, not cultured, but I'm free to worship the Lord. See? When you do fit washing, how do I live? Am I able to humble myself? Or do I argue and argue demanding to be treated well? Or do I humble myself before people? Do I wash? Do, am I, do I correct people? Is there anybody in the church that I see being wrong but I keep quiet about it? Am I approachable myself? As I offer my feet to be washed, what am I symbolizing? Or do I see people being scared of me? Jesus said, do these things. Continue doing them until I come. Let the people be reminded of these things. And they will remember me. See? Blessed be the name of the Lord. And you should do them. Those all the commandments. Eating the word. And uh, fellowshipping. See? Fellowshipping with God. Do I approach God casually? Or do I engage him? On serious business. Until he gives me the 4, 000, 4 million that I need. See? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let's not be ex. Let's not be very good at the rituals. We are no longer in the days of shadows and types. God is not interested in the types. See? Are you with me? He is interested in the real thing. Though everybody has to be baptized. But it's useless. If it, if it doesn't have the real thing. Communion is useless. If the life behind it does not do the real thing. And similarly, feet washing. And we will do these things, the real things. That's how we shall walk on the earth. The church doing those things like that, like that, until Jesus comes. Praise the name of the Lord. Yeah, we shall stop there. Maybe I'll ask my brother to come in. Be the closest.